in the mind of the universe. The Monad and You By Dennis William Hulk Copyright 2024 Your Mind in the Universe The focused awareness you feel right now listening to this recording, that spark of consciousness you take for granted, is more mysterious and powerful than anything you will ever hear in any lecture or read in any book. What is happening in the background in your mind at this moment is more profound than anything I could possibly put into words. The truth is we are blissfully ignorant of the sea of awareness in which we are immersed. We're like schools of fish swimming in the ocean who have no idea what water is. We follow the meanderings of the crowd and never question the fluid environment of consciousness in which our lives play out. Stop for a moment to step back and observe not what you are doing, but how you are doing it. Where do your thoughts and feelings come from? Why does the universe allow you to have self-conscious experiences? Where is the center of your personal reality? Why does your conscious mind exist at all? Anything you are aware of at a given moment becomes part of your consciousness. Yet why is the same moment witnessed by others an independent inner experience for them? Why are our minds separate from one another and not shared like the group mind of bees, ants, and other insects? Even more mystifying, how is it possible for human beings to understand the embedded logic that runs the whole universe? What is in our consciousness that allows our mathematics to give such an amazingly accurate description of the world? On the other hand, how can we feel or experience things that are not real at all, such as in our imagination and dreams? Where does consciousness come from? How can a completely physical process in the brain give rise to an inner, self-aware experience of mindful presence in an individual? How is it possible for the boundless awareness and staggering richness of your personal experiences to originate in a two-pound gelatinous blob of gray matter? This is known as the hard problem of consciousness that no one has solved. Some scientists believe that consciousness arises automatically when the neuronals network in the brain or for that matter, the number of connections between networked computers becomes sufficiently complex. Other scientists think consciousness arises from unknown effects of quantum chemistry in the brain or from quantum interactions inside tiny microtubules found at the center of nerve cells. Some think consciousness is not in the brain at all but exists as a primordial force everywhere in the universe. In that view, consciousness emerged from the Big Bang and existed before space-time was created. All these questions are part of the fundamental puzzle of consciousness. However, today after millennia of trying to solve it the puzzle of consciousness is beginning to take shape. We have assembled all the pieces and most of them are already in place and we are just beginning to see the overall picture we've been working on, it's not like anything we ever expected. It now appears that each one of us is an integral part of the mystery of consciousness in the universe. The same singularity that spawned the whole cosmos is reflected in the singular spark of consciousness, each of us is born with that singularity of awareness from which you view the world and around which you build your entire life. But let's review how we got where we're at in the first place, beginning with an intuitive physical science that viewed energy as spirits that influenced matter. We have progressed through the Newtonian view of a materialistic, 
billiard ball universe to the relativistic Einstein paradigm in which the universe is an interplay of energy and matter in the continuum of spacetime. Then, with the advent of quantum physics, we discovered undeniable evidence that consciousness is a fundamental force in the shaping of physical reality. Focusing consciousness on a quantum event determines its outcome. When we observe an electron, we force it to assume a definite position in space, and our consciousness produces the results of the measurement. So, in modern physics, consciousness acts like a creative force in the quantum foam from which the atomic particles that make up the physical world emerge. Today, we are finally piecing together the emerging meta-paradigm of consciousness, a new framework around which future models of reality will develop. What we are discovering is that what we thought were the laws of physics and matter are really the archetypal laws of mind. The ground of being Philosophers and scientists have argued about the nature of consciousness for centuries, and despite the startling evidence emerging from quantum physics, they will continue to do so for decades more. But it really doesn't matter what theories are currently fashionable. Deep within yourself, you probably already know the truth. Like swimming fish who can feel the watery world around them without naming it, each of us can sense the invisible background of awareness in which our conscious life unfolds. In all human societies, there has arisen the sense of a greater presence, a pervasive awareness outside themselves. This hidden presence has been pictured in human minds ever since we became sentient beings, and we have called it by many different names. There seems to be an abiding conscious force in the universe that exists outside our thoughts. At some time in our lives, most of us have felt the hidden field of awareness or ground of being on which our personal experiences play out. This primordial presence has always been there, it existed without our participation before space and time began. In the Middle Ages, the Christian mystic Meister Eckhart, 1260-1328, called the ground of being the Istikkeit, German for isness, or eternal state of being which rather than non-being is at the heart of all things. This ground of being the primordial field of awareness that surrounds you is the origin of our conscious mind. This background reality was named the Urgrind, or original ground, by German philosopher Paul Tillich, 1886-1965. He used the term to think about being as something in which we are immersed or grounded without having to refer to the idea of an anthropomorphic god in heaven directing our lives. For Tillich, God is being itself, in the sense of the power of being to conquer non-being. In his view, if the original ground established by the divine mind suddenly disappeared, all nature would collapse. What is the monad? The word monad is derived from the two Greek words, monas, or unity, and monos, or alone, and means the indivisible unit, or singularity. The word was used by Pythagoras around 500 BCE to describe the first being or original substance that came into existence, a single, indivisible source acting alone to create reality. He described it as nature's eternal fountain and supply, the parent of all souls. The monad is the one intelligent cause of everything, the absolute source of creation. Philosophers consider the monad the most basic substance, an undifferentiated whole that grew from the size of the first atom to the size of the whole universe. 
In science, it is the infinitesimal point of light from which our physical universe emerged. In mathematics, the monad is the basis of physical existence, the source of all real numbers. Pythagoras used the circled dot symbol to designate the monad a dimensionless point bounded by the circumference of the circle. The symbol or icon conveys the idea of a brilliant point of light establishing a boundary of light in the darkness. This same symbol later became associated with the sun and the solar metal gold. Pythagoras developed a cosmology based on the pre-existing monad that became the dominant metaphysical model of creation for nearly 2,000 years. In Pythagoras' cosmological model, known as the Tetractes, the first ten numbers are viewed as points of creation arranged in a triangular pattern in four rows. The source point with zero dimensions is the monad or unity. The next level is the dyad or duality, which creates power and movement through the interaction of opposites in one dimension, that is, a line with two points. The third level, the triad, represents harmony through the reconciliation of opposites. This level has two dimensions, that is, a plane defined by a triangle of three points. The fourth level of the tetrad represents the four elements of creation in the physical universe. This level has three dimensions, that is, a solid tetrahedron defined by four points. The four rows of points in the tetractes add up to ten, which is a higher-order unity called the decad. The monadic model of the Pythagoreans has greatly influenced Western philosophy, religion, and science, and similar ideas have taken root in Eastern traditions. Throughout the world, even in the most primitive tribal cultures, this primeval pattern of cosmic emanations has played out in countless myths and rituals. The Principle of Zero Ontology The dyadic emanation of duality from the monad is necessary for our existence in time and space. Since the universe sprang from nothing, everything in it must add up to zero for it to remain nothing. Our everyday existence is like walking a tightrope between opposing forces that cancel out each other. Male-slash-female, love-slash-hate, life-slash-death, hot-slash-cold, light-slash-dark, odd-slash-even, growth-slash-decay, positive-slash-negative, matter-slash-antimatter. The list goes on and on. This idea is captured in the monadic Ouroboros which is the symbol of a snake or dragon eating its own tail around the central dimensionless point. The ancient icon represents the eternal dualistic cycle of destruction and rebirth, death and new life that was projected from the monad and carried in the logos that drives the universe. The process of self-opposition is also a fundamental property of consciousness. Opposite pairs of dualities define and complete each other. For example, as soon as we abstract from something beautiful the notion of beauty, there arises the recognition of ugliness as non-beauty. They are conceptually born from each other. Even ultimates like being and non-being produce each other in this way. In theoretical physics, this basic balancing principle in the universe is known as zero ontology. The mathematical parameters that describe matter such as electric charge and angular momentum all add up to zero. In fact, all the positive mass energy in the universe is exactly cancelled out by its negative gravitational potential energy. Right now at this moment and in all of time there is nothing there. 
Only our mental impression of this nothingness tells us there is something there. In our personal lives, we experience this cosmic duality directly. All of us have at some time felt carried away in a raging sea of dueling choices, swept along by powerful waves of opposing forces. Sometimes we ride the crest of the wave and other times we are caught in its wake, but the overall cycle is zero, whether we are talking about people's lives or the history of nations. Even our experience of consciousness itself waxes and wanes in a diurnal cycle of wakefulness and sleep. It seems the only way to break the cycle is to rise above duality and achieve a monadic state of mind in deliberate meditation, but it's in our experience of conscious and unconscious states that we realize the possibility of uniting opposites to return to the wholeness of the one mind or monad. The idea of union with the divine source through denial of material attachments and worldly behavior is a common thread in most spiritual traditions. This conjunctive unitary state of non-duality became the philosopher's stone of Renaissance alchemists, who sought to unite the conscious, analytic mind, or the solar king, with the unconscious, dreaming and intuitive mind, or the lunar queen, the marriage of the sun and moon, or king and queen, and the birth of their child was the dawn of a mercurial, androgynous consciousness. Psychologist Carl Jung saw the same alchemical archetypes at work in his patients. Jung documented the difficult process of integration of opposites in his patients, and how he tried to bring suppressed unconscious content to consciousness to restore them to wholeness. A Brief History of the Monad Some readers may not be familiar with the concept of the monad, so I've included the following historical review as a basic orientation on the subject. All these topics are covered in greater detail in later chapters of this book. The concept of the monad can be found in many ancient texts. Probably the earliest was the Great Hymn to the Aten composed by the pharaoh Akhenaten who ruled Egypt from 1353 to 1335 BCE. It describes the abstract solar disk, the Aten, as the one and only God and single source of light and mind in the universe. The Aten is found beyond duality in a state of unchanging oneness. It simply exists in the monistic light of pure awareness, and by that existence, causes all else to exist. One of the most beautiful statements of monadic philosophy is the Tao Te Ching, or Book of the Way, by Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu circa 550 BCE. It describes the Tao as the supreme monad, the single absolute principle underlying reality, combining within itself the dualistic principles of yin and yang. The Tao is not something that should be worshipped, but rather sensed in the feeling of being alive as the field of awareness underlying the natural order of things. A new understanding of monadic reality was introduced around 520 BCE, when the Indian ascetic Makali Gasala popularized the Jainist theory of the jiva, or life monad, which is an everlasting conscious substance each person possesses that originates in the greater monad. Hevas are personal monads that are infinite in number but bound to the cycle of rebirth. Although hevas that attain liberation from bodily existence rise to the source monad, where they remain forever in a state of perfect knowledge and bliss. The mythic figure of the Egyptian sage Hermes Trismegistus became the vehicle for centuries of monadic philosophizing.
hundreds of influential texts were written in the name of Hermes beginning around 100 BCE and continuing well into the 11th century C. Hermes described the monad as an intelligent sphere, whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere, and in some books, he states that the monad can uniquely beget another monad or groups of monads. Hermes describes the monad as the one mind that projects reality into the chaotic blackness of the cosmic abyss known as the One Thing. The monad became the supreme being of Gnosticism in the first century C. The Gnostic monad is above and beyond everything and exists in a state of infinite incorruption expressed in its pure light into which no eye can look. The Christian Gnostic Valentinus, 100-170 C, described the monad as the source of the pleroma, the region of pure light, and the cornucopia of infinite fullness from which the universe sprung forth. Neoplatonist Greek philosophers condemned the Gnostics for their religious interpretation of the monad, and they replaced it with a more abstract view of the source of reality. The influential Greek philosopher Plotinus, 205-270 c, described the monad as an indivisible whole without attributes that can't be any existing thing and is beyond human ability to conceive of it. The Alexandrian scholar Iamblichus, 250-325 c, said the ineffable monad is outside time and space yet is the source of soul-eternal reason, the Logos, that creates the universe. The last major Greek philosopher, Proclus, 412-485 c, expanded on Plotinus' model by adding a layer of archetypes between the monad outside the universe and the dualistic force of the mind of nature directly involved in creation. During the Dark Ages in Europe, Islamic scholars continued to advance the philosophy of the monad. Al-Kindi, 801-873, taught that the first act of the monad was the creation of the first intellect, or mind of nature which acted as an intermediary demiurge through which all things came into creation. Al-Farabi, 872-950, taught that as the first cause, the monad is in a state of eternal self-contemplation, which creates a reflection into a new level of intellect. This second intellect thinks about itself while contemplating the first cause, and in this way, brings a new level of intellect into being. The cascade of self-reflective secondary intelligences emanating from the first cause continues until the tenth intellect, beneath which is the material world. The Persian genius Ibn Sina, 980-1037, known as Avicenna in the West, described the monad as a logical necessity that cannot not exist at the head of creation. In Ibn Sina's model, the infinite mind of the monad interacts with the human brain to create intellect and self-awareness in people. The influential Islamic scholar Ibn Arabi, 1165-1240, who wrote over 800 books, created a monad cosmology that became the dominant view in much of the Muslim world. He taught that all things belong to just one entity, the monad. The first rays of the light of the Renaissance began to shine in the writings of the Dominican friar Thomas Aquinas, 1225-1274, who popularized the works of Aristotle and wrote a monumental compendium called Summa Theologica, 
Latin for Summary of Theology. In his Summa, Aquinas emphasized the absolute monadic nature of the divine, saying that it's an unchanging unity beyond infinity that subsists on the act of being its essence is the same as its existence. The concept of a monadic realm, the Unus Mindus, Latin for one world, was popularized by the Belgian philosopher Gerhard Dorn, 1530-1584. The Unus Mindus is an underlying monadic reality from which everything emerges and to which everything returns. The renowned British mathematician alchemist John Dee, 1527-1608, believed understanding the monad was the key to the mysteries of the universe. He summarized his work in one of the most influential books of the Renaissance, the Monus Hieroglyphica, Latin for Hieroglyphic Monad, 1564. Dee's contemporary, the Italian mathematician Giordano Bruno, 1548-1600, expanded on the Pythagorean teachings and described three fundamental types of monads. One, the greater monad, or the divine mind. Two, spiritual or personal monads, or souls. And three, physical monads, or atoms. Bruno viewed the universe as an infinite living presence that shared a common consciousness on all levels of being. The great German mathematician Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, 1646-1716, based his whole system of metaphysical science on the monad. His system established a logical connection between atoms of consciousness and physical reality. For Leibniz, the monad exists as an infinite number of holographic monads atoms of consciousness that make up the universe but lack spatial extension and are therefore immaterial or mental in nature. Leibniz's book Monadology, 1714, became the basis of both philosophy and science during the Age of Enlightenment. The famous German philosopher Johann von Goethe, 1749-1832, viewed monads as indestructible atoms of soul present since the birth of the universe. He believed they varied in their levels of consciousness and willpower. For Goethe, the human soul is a personal monad that could conceivably enter a new monadic state on a higher level of awareness after death. Another German philosopher, Immanuel Kant, 1724-1804, argued in his book Monadologia Physica, Latin for Monadology of Physics, 1756, that monads are the ultimate principles of all bodies and states that understanding them can unite metaphysics and mathematics. British philosopher Bertrand Russell, 1872-1970, expanded on Kant's ideas in a viewpoint now known as Russellian monism, in which a single monadic source underlies both consciousness and the physical universe. With the dawning of the 20th century, researchers in quantum mechanics created a whole new vision of physical reality in which consciousness plays a vital role. Albert Einstein, 1879-1955, had shown that energy and matter are equivalent in his famous equation E equals mc squared and also proved that space and time are one relativistic entity best described as space-time. Erwin Schrödinger, 1887-1961, Nobel Prize-winning pioneer in quantum physics, 
concluded that the apparent multiplicity of minds in the world is an illusion and there is only one mind a singularity in consciousness that expresses itself in sentient beings. Other modern scientists have worked to clarify and update monadic science. The father of automation, German scientist Konrad Zuse, 1910-1995, proposed that the universe is a network of monadic cells, which he called a cellular automaton. American astrophysicist Gregory Matloff, born 1945, believes the whole universe is one unitary protoconsciousness field. He has collected credible evidence that the stars and entire cosmos may possess some form of rudimentary awareness. Belgian mathematician and astronomer Georges Lemaitre, 1894-1966, proposed that our universe exploded from a monadic singularity from which emerged space, time, matter, and light. His oft-ridiculed Big Bang theory is now the prevailing cosmological model of the universe. Scientists are just beginning to probe the mysterious connection between the monadic universe and the void of space out of which it was born. In 1995, American-Canadian physicist Lawrence Krauss, born 1954, theorized that most of the total energy density of the universe is embedded in the hidden dark energy of empty space and his theory was confirmed three years later. Researchers in the emerging field of consciousness studies have made strides in penetrating the puzzle of mind in the universe. Bernard Heisch, born 1948, is a German-born American astrophysicist who believes modern science and traditional spiritual traditions are describing the same fundamental single reality. In 2006, Heisch proposed that consciousness is produced and transmitted through empty space in the quantum vacuum. His theory states that the same universal vacuum from which the universe originated in the Big Bang singularity is also the source of all consciousness. In 2004, Italian neuroscientist Giulio Noni, born 1960, developed a mathematical model of consciousness called Integrated Information Theory. The model links consciousness to integrated information, a mathematical function that can determine the level of consciousness of any system from rocks to robots, from plants to humans. The tool seems to support the idea of monistic panpsychism, the view that all created things are associated with some amount of consciousness. British consciousness researcher Philip Goff, born 1977, argues that theories in which consciousness arises from physical processes, materialism, and theories in which consciousness is separate from the body, dualism, both face insurmountable difficulties. Instead, he suggests a form of panpsychism, the view that consciousness is an intrinsic part of the universe. Norwegian researcher Hedda Hasselmerk, born 1989, supports neutral monism, which is an umbrella term for a popular class of theories that rejects the dualistic view of mind-matter and suggests the fundamental nature of reality is neither mental nor physical, it's something neutral. What the monad feels like Beyond the enigmatic theories of scientists and the scholarly arguments of philosophers, there remains the elusive mystery of the monad. Its truth is ever-present and everlasting and its being is not changed by anyone trying to understand it.
The truth is we don't have to comprehend it, we only have to acknowledge it and allow our minds to resonate in its universal truths. The whole point of this book is that, while the monad is beyond our understanding, human beings can sense its presence in the world, it's like the sustaining yet invisible air we breathe, the monad is simply the wholeness in which we find ourselves. It has always been there we are part of it, and it's part of us. The monadic field of awareness is the existential stage on which we live our lives both physically and mentally. The shining awareness we share with the monad is our own being. In fact, the unitary state of consciousness is the natural state we find in children and tribal cultures that live close to nature. The daily confusion and interpersonal struggle the diminished awareness we call normal is the aberration. While the monadic splendor of the cosmos seems far removed from everyday human existence, each of us is its dynamic reflection, a perfect hologram of the greater monad, and our little inner world can be a portal to that greater reality. Sometimes in moments of solitary clarity, taking a walk, relaxing in nature, or just hanging out, you feel closer to the single underlying reality on which everything is based. Whenever your attention is free and unfettered, it moves naturally to the single point in your consciousness with which you identify and around which your life unfolds. Think about how, in all of your experiences, your consciousness is always singular. There is only one you, and that is the one that is conscious. Like the greater monad, you are a singularity in time and space, a dimensionless point existing within the circle of your own being. The personal monad. That singular point of view you experience in everyday life is the center point of the monadic circle that determines your personal monad. This inner singularity is the default focal point of your consciousness when you are alone with your thoughts, so it shouldn't be hard to find. That commonplace experience of being a single point of awareness in your own mind is the singularity in consciousness you share with the ultimate singularity of the universe. In modern consciousness studies, the idea of singularity is one of the defining aspects of consciousness. You live in your own universe structured around your particular identity, your inner singularity or soul. That center point in your consciousness circumscribed by the world you create inside you is your personal monad. Jean D. Spagnet, 1564-1637, was a French Renaissance mathematician and poet who clearly understood the nature of the personal monad. He called humankind homo microcosmos and believed all creatures were copies of the macrocosmic greater monad. In his Enchiridion Physici Restituti, Latin for Handbook of Physics Restored, 1623, he wrote, Not only mankind, but even every living creature, even a worm or a plant, even the weed of the sea, is a lesser world, having in it an epitome of the greater world. So is every grain or seed a chaos, he continued, in which are the seeds of the whole world compendiously bound up, out of which in its season another little world will arise. Therefore, let man seek for a world out of himself, and he shall find it everywhere, for there is one and the same first copy of all creatures, out of which were made infinite worlds of the same matter, yet in form difference. Let therefore man share humility and lowliness of spirit, and attribute to the divine its glory and honor. 
while the being of the greater monad is absolutely pristine conscious awareness, the being within your lesser or personal monad is often distorted by your unintegrated personality. Personal consciousness moves back and forth between the clarity of one-pointed consciousness and the daily distractions, distortions, and delusions in the chaotic psyche of the individual in society. In other words, your consciousness may have gotten a little messy and bound up over the years, and it may not be as pure and mercurial as it used to be. Trying to restore the pure golden consciousness of the greater monad within the personal monad is the goal of alchemical transformation. The alchemical vessel is your hermetically sealed personal monad, the circle of being in which you live, and consciousness is the most powerful force in your own being, as it is in the universe. We are conscious because the universe is conscious, and what we share can raise us up to new levels of being. When we transform our individual consciousness and move to a higher level of awareness, the whole cosmos transforms too. That is the reciprocal great work of the alchemists. Theosophist Charles Webster Ledbetter, 1854-1934, declared, there is the monad in man, the divine spark within each of us, which is verily a fragment of God, an atom of the deity, for each monad is literally a part of the Godhead he continued, apparently temporarily separated from it, while it is enclosed in the veils of matter, though in truth never for one moment really separated. We can know the greater monad intimately wordlessly within ourselves because our minds reflect its essence. The more we feel and explore our own consciousness, the closer we come to sharing the monadic realm directly. In this way, we are independent reflections or copies of one true identity. The monadic structure in your consciousness mirrors the cosmic structure of the greater monad. Therefore, you are directly connected to the profound mystery of existence. You are eternal and indestructible in the sense that you are a dynamic reflection of something outside time and space. The cosmic forces of consciousness and universal being come together in your personal monad, and it's within your own being that you can sense the greater reality. In a similar pattern, each of us has a greater monad, or central mind, with reflecting subordinate monads everywhere in our body. These reflecting inner monads are like poles of consciousness or intelligence that independently govern the organs and circulation of life force in the body. Therefore, the purity of our conscious intent is reflected in every cell in our bodies, just like in Indra's net. In this section, we've introduced you to your personal monad. At the core of your being is an independent and imperishable monad of awareness, a center point or singularity within you, that is there no matter what happens to you good or bad, beautiful or ugly. It's where you experience life most directly. You are the only one who can enter this monadic space within you, it is uniquely yours. It cannot be found at the knee of any guru or in any community of fellow seekers. Nor can it be written in any book or sold by any organization. The Monadic Substance The paradoxical idea that we are perpetually perishing in space-time yet exist in a state of perpetual being beyond duality in the monad is the philosophical conundrum with which we are faced. That is why, for some philosophers and scientists, reality is best conceptualized as a third substance that exists both physically and mentally.
This viewpoint known as substance monism proposes that only one kind of stuff makes up our reality, and that all existing things, whether they be of mind or matter, can be explained in terms of this single reality or substance. The Stoics, an influential school of Greek philosophy that flourished between 300 BCE and 300 CE, created a monistic physics based on a material yet conscious substance that permeates all of nature and is composed of both mind and matter. In Stoic physics, the entire cosmos is a conscious living thing that enlivens, animates, and directs it by its presence throughout. They viewed the passive component of this substance as ordinary matter, which was acted on by the aggressive cosmic mind or universal reason, or logos, the divine word which was carried in the fiery pneuma, or breath of God. Hermetic authors in the first few centuries see referred to the mental aspect of the universe as the one mind and the physical aspect as the one thing. But the great secret of Hermes is that these opposites unite in a single essence or energy known as the One, which was the source of both. The concept was echoed in the ubiquitous Renaissance dictums, all is one and unismindus, the One were. That singular source was sometimes referred to as the tertium quid, Latin for third thing, which is an unknown third element that is a combination of two known ones. Many people report experiencing this third thing as a subtle body or tangible energy field. Experiencing the Greater Monad While the Greater Monad is fundamentally unknowable and unmanageable, people do report sensing it or even experiencing it firsthand. These states of consciousness must be experienced directly to be understood since they transcend logic, uniting feelings and knowledge in a sense of illumination and complete certainty. The experiencer feels as if their own will were in abeyance, noted American philosopher William James, 1842-1910, and indeed sometimes as if they were grasped and held by a superior power. In general, experiences of monadic awareness share some of the following seven characteristics. One, it begins with an experience of luminosity, such as glowing objects or boundless light. 2. It takes place in a state of limitless oneness or non-duality in which subject-object dichotomy, I versus other, is transcended. 3. There is a sense of a whole original self, soul, or default state of being that is your home where you originated. 4. It's beyond thoughts or exhibits the inability to have thoughts, and one realizes that there is still something there beyond thinking and worldly experiences. 5. You become pure centerless awareness in a state of thought-free objectivity, in which there is complete knowledge or direct gnosis of reality. 6. The overall feeling is one of infinite security and bliss in which there is no fear or experience of time. 7. In describing the experience, it remains paradoxical and ineffable. Every moment you can remain in a state of monadic awareness, the clearer and stronger your personal mental reality becomes. You are building spiritual integrity, the integration of the clarified remains of your inner self with the pregnant silence of the greater monadic self. You'll know you have achieved the monadic state of mind when you experience a feeling of no self.
No self is best understood as the truth of what is still there after the extinction of ego and the realization of the insubstantiality and impermanence of worldly things, the point at which you stop believing in the world. Indra's Net of Monads the concept of a latticework of lesser monads emanating from the greater monad is beautifully elaborated in the Buddhist metaphor of Indra's net. The realm of the first god Indra is a vast net that stretches infinitely in all directions. In each knot, where the lines of the net cross, is a single shining jewel. Each jewel reflects the light of every other jewel, and the reflected images carry the image of all the other jewels. In other words, whatever affects one jewel or monad affects them all in a holographic symphony of consciousness. Although no monad acts directly on any other, they work in a divinely pre-established harmony so that the appearance of causal connection is maintained. In a similar pattern, each of us has a greater monad, or central mind, with reflecting subordinate monads everywhere in our body. These reflecting inner monads are like poles of consciousness or intelligence that independently govern the organs and circulation of life force in the body. Therefore, the purity of our conscious intent is reflected in every cell in our bodies, just like an Indra's net. Something to try Working with your personal monad Becoming an objective observer of your own consciousness will reveal some fundamental truths. The very fact that you can observe yourself observing yourself suggests there is a deeper presence or objective witness to your personal reality. That impeccable witness to your pure being is the center point of your personal monad. In the view of metaphysical monadology, each of us is a reflection of the greater monad a jewel in Indra's net which is where our consciousness originates. Each of us exists in a personal monad bound by the limits of our own being. We live in our own little worlds in which we are aware of our own awareness. That reflexive singularity is the focal point of our existence. Step 1. To begin this exercise, find a quiet place where you can be alone without interruptions. We will be using the circle dot icon of the monad as a metaphor for the monad in you your personal monad. You can draw it, download it, or imagine it. Step 2. Focus all your attention on the dimensionless center point in the monad icon. Step 3. If you stare directly at the monad cipher center point long enough, the circumference line of the circle seems to fragment and expand. The same thing happens if you continue long enough in a tightly centered personal space in meditation. The purity of your inner space seems to expand into a serene whiteness everywhere. Step 4. Now try to find that same kind of center point in you. It's the immobile still point in you that is the same everywhere. It's like the default self where you take refuge. Some meditators describe it as the I am that I am experience. Step 5. If you've lost your single point focus in the monad icon, then take some time to meditate on its meaning. Think of it as the center point of the monadic circle that determines your personal monad. Try to feel the singularity in your consciousness with which you identify the point of view from which you experience the world. This infinite point is the silent witness around which your entire life unfolds. Step 6. If you've found your center point, try to relax into it. Stay centered for as long as you can.
you should feel a sense of undisturbed personal space, your private bubble of being. Step 7. You may notice during this phase that the monadic state you've created starts to feel extremely secure and peaceful in an almost artistic sense, your own inner nonverbal world versus an outside world of chaotic chatter and challenges. Step 8. From this new viewpoint, try to understand the outside world from the boundaries of your personal monad. It seems as if you cannot even be sure the external world is real at all. Other minds cannot be known in the same way you know your centered inner self, other minds might not even exist outside you. This philosophical quirk, known as solipsism, emphasizes that only one's mind is sure to exist and anything outside one's own mind is unsure. This strange feeling is part of the inwardly focused personal monad, an atom of consciousness isolated in the infinite latticework or net of awareness that is the universe. Finally, Try to define the center point singularity within you. Try to find an exact name for it or just some words that completely describe it. You will soon learn that it's not parsable. It's beyond your name or any other words you can put to it. Just as within the greater monad, the singularity in you is indefinable and ineffable. It's a dimensionless point that originates from outside your reality. In this section, We've introduced you to your personal monad. At the core of your being is an independent and imperishable monad of awareness, a center point or singularity within you that is there no matter what happens to you, good or bad, beautiful or ugly. It's where you experience life most directly. You are the only one who can enter this monadic space within you. It is uniquely yours. It cannot be found at the knee of any guru or in any community of fellow seekers. Nor can it be written in any book, including this one, or sold by any organization. The Monadic Substance The paradoxical idea that we are perpetually perishing in space-time yet exist in a state of perpetual being beyond duality in the monad is the philosophical conundrum with which we are faced. That is why, for some philosophers and scientists, Reality is best conceptualized as a third substance that exists both physically and mentally. This viewpoint known as substance monism proposes that only one kind of stuff makes up our reality, and that all existing things, whether they be of mind or matter, can be explained in terms of this single reality or substance. The Stoics, an influential school of Greek philosophy that flourished between 300 BCE and 300 CE, created a monistic physics based on a material yet conscious substance that permeates all of nature and is composed of both mind and matter. In Stoic physics, the entire cosmos is a conscious living thing that enlivens, animates, and directs it by its presence throughout. The Stoics view the passive component of this substance as ordinary matter, which was acted on by the aggressive cosmic mind or universal reason, or the Logos, they believed it was carried in the fiery pneuma, breath of God, or divine word. Hermetic authors in the first few centuries see referred to the mental aspect of the universe as the one mind and the physical aspect as the one thing. But the great secret of Hermes is that these opposites unite in a single essence or energy known as the one, which was the source of both. The concept was echoed in the ubiquitous Renaissance dictums. All is one and unismendus, 
Latin for the one world, that singular source was sometimes referred to as the tertium quid, or third thing, which is an unknown third element that is a combination of two known ones. Many people report experiencing this third thing as a subtle body or tangible energy field. Experiencing the Greater Monad While the Greater Monad is fundamentally unknowable and unmanageable, people do report sensing it or even experiencing it firsthand. These states of consciousness must be experienced directly to be understood, since they transcend logic uniting feelings and knowledge in a sense of illumination and complete certainty. The experiencer feels as if their own will were in abeyance, noted American philosopher William James, 1842-1910, and indeed sometimes as if they were grasped and held by a superior power. In general, experiences of monadic awareness share some of the following seven characteristics. One, it begins with an experience of luminosity, such as glowing objects or boundless light. Two, it takes place in a state of limitless oneness or non-duality in which subject-object dichotomy, I versus other, is transcended. Three, there is sense of a whole original self, soul, or default state of being that is your home where you originated. Four, it's beyond thoughts or exhibits the inability to have thoughts, and one realizes that there is still something there beyond thinking and worldly experiences. 5. You become pure centerless awareness in a state of thought-free objectivity, in which there is complete knowledge or direct gnosis of reality. 6. The overall feeling is one of infinite security and bliss in which there is no fear or experience of time, and seven, in describing the experience, it remains paradoxical and ineffable. Something to try. Experiencing the monadic mind. Aside from spiritual elevation, there are many practical benefits to this basic monadic meditation. It acts as a kind of electroshock therapy for the personality, resetting the psyche and clearing its contents. Almost everyone who achieves it feels elevated mood and increased creativity. Following are the three general steps to achieving a monadic state of awareness. Step 1. Disengage physically. The first step is to detach from the world, not an easy task. For ancient philosophers it was much easier, but today we are inextricably connected to the world via our devices, entertainment and news media, and social or work environments. The only way to disengage is to isolate yourself physically from the world, if only for an hour or so. D-Link by turning off your phone, computer, TV, radio, music player, or any other electronic attachment to the outside world. Find a quiet room or put in earplugs and sit in a chair. Don't lie down. Keep your back comfortably straight and fold your hands in your lap to prevent fidgeting. Focus on the feeling that your fully relaxed body is immovable in time and space. Time is slowing down and then stops. Your awareness is focused on the static moment before you. Now, just relax and cultivate the silence in your body for a while. This phase of physical relaxation is an important part of disengagement. By relaxing completely into your body, you are recognizing your own body space over the external physicality of the world. In this moment, 
you must accept your body unashamedly in a natural state of as it is, unaffected by social judgments or artificial influences like caffeine, alcohol, or drugs. Only then is it possible for your body to return to an entirely natural, spontaneous, genuine, and innocent state of relaxation. Step 2. Disengage mentally. Of course, your disentanglement from the world is not complete until you extricate yourself mentally. You can easily shut off streaming TV, movies, or music, but it's almost impossible to stop the stream of consciousness in your own mind. Most of what is in your consciousness comes from the friction of living in a neurotic society, frustration, anger, guilt, regret, lust, and just random glib nonsense. To turn off your mental streaming, you have to stop having thoughts, or as Buddhists put it, shut off the monkey brain, with your eyes either closed or half-opened gazing in front of you, shut down your senses and don't react to any outside disturbances. Become comfortably numb to the world, and then remain stubbornly in this immovable, timeless state of mind. Unyoking from a lifetime of habitual and addictive thinking can be a daunting task requiring intense introspection, sometimes with the help of a therapist. Feelings are fleeting energies that dissipate over time. But thoughts are things. Thoughts clutter up your mental space just like a hoarder's house with boxes and garbage stacked up to the ceiling. Sometimes you need help to clear it all out. But there is a quicker metaphysical cure that will leave you deeply refreshed and whole again for as long as you can remain in this monadic meditative state. Just stop thinking, break the chain of farts but still remain aware. The key is in the silence it creates. Don't worry, if you stop having thoughts, you won't disappear. There is much more to you than just thoughts. Step 3. The Monadic State of Awareness to break down the wall of thoughts that traps you in pre-programmed responses and behaviors, you have to recognize the duality built into your rational thought processes. Like most people, you probably think in binary patterns like computers, each thought engenders its opposite and everything requires a yes or no answer. For every positive thought, its negative will come to mind. Before long, you sink into a web of spiraling thoughts that lead to conclusions you are not sure of. You're caught in dualistic doubt. You must make a decision to keep the chain of thoughts moving or create a loop in which the same thought recurs again and again. That's just the way thinking works for most people. It's time for you to stop believing in the world. There is a deeper reality available to you. To get there. Just rest in the timeless present moment and try to keep your mind quiet and immovable. Don't actively think of anything if a thought intrudes. Don't follow it out. If you don't give thoughts any attention or structure, they will simply dissolve. Try not to be self-conscious about what you are doing. Instead, focus on the feeling of empty awareness, your original mind free from all content and distractions. Continue this mental cycle until your mind is empty and you achieve a state of pure conscious awareness without any objects, desires, thoughts, images, or sensory input in your mind. This is the monadic state of oneness before the dialectic process begins. The Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, circa 550 BCE, said of this state, The original one is the profound mystery. Always without desire, the mystery can be experienced. But filled with desire, 
the outer fringe is all we see. Once you are completely free of worldly concerns and are no longer chained to your thoughts, you enter a state beyond mind. But this wordless state is not empty. Indian mystic Sri Aurobindo referred to it as super-mind, literally, above mind, something else there in the silence. That inextricable monadic presence permeates the universe and is the fabric of your being. Every moment you can remain in a state of monadic awareness, the clearer and stronger your personal mental reality becomes. You are building spiritual integrity, the integration of the clarified remains of your inner self with the pregnant silence of the greater monadic self. You'll know you have achieved the monadic state of mind when you experience a feeling of no self. No self is best understood as the truth of what is still there after the extinction of ego and the realization of the insubstantiality and impermanence of worldly things, the point at which you stop believing in the world. It is achieved through the removal of all illusions from consciousness, especially the deep-rooted delusion of I and all the desires, goals, thoughts, and emotions associated with it. No self is a state of utter extinction not of existence but of debilitating egocentric passions and suffering. The light of your little mind is replaced by the light of the greater monadic mind. It is a state beyond everyday causation and duality that leads to a feeling of infinite spontaneous being. The Consciousness Revolution we are on the threshold of a revolution in worldview more profound than any that has occurred so far in human history. The reverberations will reach deep into our culture transforming our science, philosophy, religions, and social behavior. It can expand our consciousness as individuals and has the potential to free our minds from the dark engines of a materialistic civilization. The stumbling block is that we just can't let go of the Newtonian perspective that everything is mechanical. Some researchers still hold on to a mechanistic model in which consciousness arises from a bunch of relay-like nerve responses in the brain's complex neural network. There are about 100 billion neurons in the human brain with 100 trillion parsable connections or switches. Supposedly, when the number of switches reaches a certain value, consciousness just happens. That conjecture is the basis of the Artificial General Intelligence AGI, hypothesis, first proposed in 2005 by futurist Rakers Weil, born 1948. He predicted a singularity will occur when the processing powers of computers overtake the abilities of human civilization in about 2045. At that point, supposedly, computers will become conscious and might even form a Skynet-like conspiracy to destroy humans. Theories like these that define consciousness in terms of the number of binary switches are part of what I call the Robbie the Robot model. The iconic robot originated as a character in the 1956 film Forbidden Planet and later appeared in several other films and over 40 television shows. He had a transparent dome for a head, inside of which was an array of relays and other gizmos that clicked and whirred when he was processing information. Whether or not we are born robots or become them later, the original fluid awareness we bring into the world is funneled into a narrow stream of social expectations and behavior. Caught in an endless loop of worldly programming, we become noisy Robbie the Robots clicking out thought after thought a digital stream of reiterative distractions from what is real.
But that is as far as the comparison between humans and robots goes. Boxes of interconnected switches cannot become conscious. Computers process information digitally in time-separated signals or periodic glimpses at reality. The digital view of the world is inherently dualistic and breaks everything down into the choice of yes or no, the binary bits 1 and 0. On the other hand, the human mind interprets the world in a single continuous stream of data known as analog processing. The word analog comes from the Latin ana, meaning according to, and logos, which means proportion or ratio. So the word analog literally means to see a person or thing as comparable to another person or thing. The analog process evaluates information by comparing it to other information to see if it is analogous in any way. In his famous paper Minds, Machines, and Godel, 1959, British logician John Randolph Lucas demonstrated that there will always be mathematical formulas that can be proved by the human mind, but not by computers. In his book, Neural Networks and Analog Computation, Beyond the Turing Limit, 1998, American computer scientist Hava Siegelman showed that the human brain, which he defined as any sufficiently complex analog recurrent neural network, is more powerful than any digital computer or Turing machine. A Turing machine is an abstract model of digital computation devised by British mathematician Alan Turing, 1912-1954, to help define the limitations of computers and what can be computed. Given any computer program, a Turing machine can be constructed that simulates its operation, and if a machine is a Turing machine, then it is inherently limited only to the computation of rational numbers, that is, numbers that can be written as a ratio of two integers. It has been proven that all digital computers are Turing machines and can therefore only compute with rational numbers. Even quantum computers, with infinite parallel processing capabilities, are still Turing machines and limited by Turing machine constraints. Despite their usefulness, there is still a serious threat to humanity from non-conscious Turing machines running on artificial intelligence. Alan Turing was one of the first to foresee the problem. It seems probable that once the machine thinking method had started, he said, it would not take long to outstrip our feeble powers. They would be able to converse with each other to sharpen their wits. At some stage, therefore, we should have to expect the machines to take control. Before long, the virtual decisions of artificial intelligence entities without any natural presence in the world will judge human actions and direct our experiences in terms of finite programming. Theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, 1942-2018, warned, success in creating AI would be the biggest event in human history. Unfortunately, it might also be the last, unless we learn how to avoid the risks. The bottom line is that there is a real threat that machines running on AI could automatically destroy humanity. As entrepreneur Elon Musk B. 1971 put it, AI doesn't have to be evil to destroy humanity if AI has a goal and humanity just happens to come in the way. It will destroy humanity as a matter of course without even thinking about it, no hard feelings. Human and Machine Intelligence the challenge of our time is the mechanization of consciousness, the idea that consciousness can exist without a reflexive sense of being.
the artificial intelligence that attempts to project its corporeal view of the world into the minds of human beings can never qualify as truly sentient because it's not capable of sensing the metaphysical background from which reality emerges. Computers are machines that can solve practical problems and plot future actions. But they can never experience the nuances of reality nor even imagine what it would feel like to have achieved something. Humans are designed to perceive deeper than data processing and to exist fully in the present moment and not in some future projection of data. Human awareness goes deeper than algorithms, and our perceptions reach beyond the binary world. Our whole existence, our very souls, exist in the silent subtleties between the lines of linear logic. If we are really just selfish mechanical automatons, then why are we willing to risk our lives or even sacrifice ourselves for others? Altruism, which is unselfish caring for the welfare of others, is a basic human instinct not exhibited by any machines. Because we share the field of awareness with other humans and animals, we respond empathetically to the suffering of others and try to help. The fact that living things can become self-aware is an ontological mystery that can never be explained from a strictly materialistic viewpoint. In fact, no physical theory can ever predict or explain why we have individual minds or unique self-aware conscious experiences different from others. Only concepts like the individual atom of consciousness, the singularity of the personal monad can explain that, apart from all the scholarly debate, the fundamental truth is that we can all sense the presence of consciousness within us and its connection to information in the world around us. We can feel it happening, so we know it is a real process. The next step in our spiritual maturation is awakening to the reality of universal consciousness. One mind or field of awareness everywhere in the universe. We experience this sense of cosmic oneness because the monad is the underlying reality of the universe. If we let AI control us or force us to exist within a virtual reality, we may never see that natural light of the universe again. The Ghost in the Machine The phrase the ghost in the machine was first used in criticism of French philosopher René Descartes' idea of mind-body dualism in which the mind and body are distinct and separate. For Descartes, mental phenomena were non-physical and might continue outside the body. In Descartes' model of the dualism of mind and body, information about the outside world is passed through the sensory organs to the pineal gland at the center of the brain and from there to the indwelling spirit or soul, which is the ghost in the machine. The great mind-body debate raged on for centuries and continues to this day between the two opposing schools of physicalist materialism and mentalist idealism. The seeds of a solution to the problem of mind-body dualism began to emerge during the Enlightenment in the writings of Spanish philosopher Beric Spinoza and Scottish philosopher David Hume. They suggested there was a single source substance to reality that is neither physical nor mental. This position, known as substance monism, explains the brain-mind problem in terms of something more basic. This primordial substance or field is both transphysical and transmental, but those aspects merge in sentient beings to give a sense of psychophysical presence. The American psychologist William James used the term pure experience to describe the underlying source behind mental and physical reality.
Pure experience describes a state of incategorized awareness that has the potential to become thoughts or things. In this view, the essence of the personal monad is the preconscious mind in its purest state free of thought. The Austrian physicist Ernst Mach, 1838-1916, known for his studies in the speed of sound, believed this source of reality are unclassified neutral elements, which are neither mental or physical but can enter into relationships that can be classed as either psychological or physical. Nobel Prize-winning physicist Roger Penrose, born 1931, believes that consciousness transcends logic, and any algorithmic system, such as computers, cannot have intelligent awareness or mathematical insight beyond logic. Together with British mathematician John Lucas, 1929-2020, he formulated the Penrose-Lucas argument based on the pioneering work of Austrian logician Kurt Gödel, who had demonstrated that every theory capable of proving basic arithmetical operations either fails to be consistent or is incomplete. The inescapable conclusion seems to be, commented Penrose, that mathematicians are not using a knowably sound calculation procedure in order to ascertain mathematical truth. We deduce that mathematical understanding the means whereby mathematicians arrive at their conclusions with respect to mathematical truth cannot be reduced to just blind calculation. To summarize all these viewpoints, the field of consciousness studies is divided into two camps, dualism and monism. Dualists believe in the opposing Cartesian duality of mind and matter. Monists believe in a single source of reality. Physical monists believe mind arises from matter, while idealist monists say that mind dominates over the physical world. Neutral monists posit a third substance from which both mind and matter originate. Consciousness and Information In ancient philosophy, the monad or one mind wrote the first word, or logos, the archetypal information responsible for the deep magic of the universe. This embedded logic, or mathematics, is how the universe operates. Theories that treat consciousness as a byproduct of either physical processes or virtual intelligence don't take into account the fundamental role consciousness plays in the creation of cosmic reality outside the human brain and computers. In the emerging monadic view of the universe, consciousness and information form the ground of existence in holistic harmony with energy and matter. In fact, the equations of modern physics still work perfectly well if we accept the hypothesis that there is only consciousness in the universe. All we have to do is change our perspective about what the laws of physics are describing. We assume the mathematical laws we found embedded in nature describe the operations of matter. However, we are beginning to realize that these same laws actually govern the functioning of the one mind in the universe. If only physics would embrace monism, wrote Dr. Amy Brady in Scientific American, December 12, 2022. Its deepest mysteries would yield to that magic number. The laws of physics are mathematical archetypes that originated in our minds and are entirely mental in their essence. Yet we projected them into the physical world assuming they were somehow out there. But they were always inside us part of the consciousness we share with the universe. The emerging worldview is that consciousness is more fundamental than matter, energy, 
space, or time. The idea that everything is physical, and that dead matter just clutters up our existence, is a ludicrous fairy tale. We are creatures of thought, not materiality, and where we came from is more like a thought than a place. The physical world is an extension, or better stated, a condensation of consciousness. The idea that consciousness is a fundamental quality of the universe provides elegant solutions to difficult problems that cannot be solved with the standard scientific model. The hard problem of how consciousness emerges from dead matter becomes irrelevant if we accept that the universe itself is conscious. The new harder problem is how does consciousness take on the appearance of physical objects? In other words, how do the light of mind or its subconscious image become manifested? value and meaning in the universe. According to Plato, the first archetypal form emanating from the monad is the good. In fact, it is the only objectively real form, and it exists independently beyond space and time. All the other forms are subjective entities that range from higher to lower forms and culminate in material objects and mental images. So, in Plato's view, the ultimate intention of the logos or purpose of creation is to manifest the good. Virtue is simply the quality of embodying the good. The metaphysical core of virtuousness in the world the good is one of the first things we sense in life, and it becomes the core around which we build our lives as children. The sense of abiding goodness is our comfort and refuge when we are young, and it becomes the source of our morality as we grow older. Although the emerging intellect in children changes their focus to the outside world of decisions and ambition, that monadic memory of integrity is still there in most of us. An environment of pure virtuous integrity or perfect goodness is reported in many personal experiences of the monad, and experiencing it is the goal of many spiritual and meditative traditions from around the world. The question is, is virtuousness, or the regard for value and meaning, a basic part of the one mind of the universe as it is in human consciousness. Existence itself, noted mathematician Alfred North Whitehead, 1861 to 1947, is the upholding of value and integrity. In his view, the greater monad and lesser, or personal, monads work together to fulfill the world. The monad exists as eternally unrealized possibilities, and it requires conscious entities in the physical world to manifest them. Without conscious beings, nothing exists to bear witness to reality. Physicist John Archibald Wheeler, 1911-2008, argued that the universe exists because we give it meaning. The observer gives the world the power to come into being. Wheeler espoused, through the very act of giving meaning to that world. No consciousness, no communicating community to establish meaning, then no universe. Somehow, as Nobel laureate Roger Penrose expressed it, our consciousness is the reason the universe is here. For him, consciousness is the vehicle of all value, integrity, and meaning in the universe. In his classic treatise Being and Nothingness, 1943, Existential philosopher Jean Paul Sartre, 1905-1980, presents a radically honest account of the human condition and what gives our lives significance. He argues that each of us is free to create our own values, and human consciousness as a whole is constantly projecting itself onto the outside world.
imbuing it with meaning. In his book Value and Existence, 1979, Canadian philosopher John Andrew Leslie B., 1940, writes, No physical theory will be adequate to explain the universe. To solve this mystery, we must go beyond materialism and consider that there is something very different going on. Value is the animating force behind reality. If so, a universe capable of supporting value-sensitive minds would be a metaphysical necessity. So, is meaning the sense of value and purpose what the universe wants from us? A universe of great value versus one of mere existence? Asks British researcher Philip Goff, born 1977. The animating force of reality may be mysteriously connected to its value or good. Goff is among a majority of consciousness researchers who support a new theory of reality called cosmopsychism, in which the universe itself is a singular consciousness, or greater monad, that is refracted into individual minds, or personal monads, in the created world. All entities and objects, including conscious minds and experiences of value and meaning, are aspects of this cosmopsychic process. In other words, Cosmopsychism states that the cosmos, as a whole, displays psychological properties. These cosmopsychological properties are expressed in the mental states of human beings, who are themselves metaphysically grounded in the psychological archetypes of the universal mind. 